Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour here on the America Out Loud Network and on iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, retired police lieutenant with 34 years of law enforcement experience, the author of A Cop's Life and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety, and also the founder of The Wounded Blue. The Wounded Blue is the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. On, on this show, we are dedicated to a concept, and that concept is the well-being, the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual health of the American law enforcement community. This show is all about law enforcement and the the challenges that they face, both physical, emotional, and mental. So uh, let's get started. Uh, this is going to be a little different show. No, I don't have a guest today. And the reason I don't is because I want to share with you the origins of the Wounded Blue and um, and some personal, some personal aspects of why this organization was created and a little bit about my journey and what led to this incredible organization, which has helped more than 14,000 American law enforcement officers in the last four years. But before we do that, uh, we begin this show with our weekly reality check. And the reality check is how we honor those who have given their lives in the line of duty and the reality of the war on cops. And, uh, each each week, unfortunately, there's more there's more violence and sadness um, in regards to this. So, <clears throat> in the last since we last got together, there have been two uh, line of duty deaths. I'm going to read you those right now. The first is Master Trooper James R. Bailey of the Indiana State Police. Master Trooper James Bailey was struck and killed by a fleeing vehicle on I-69 south of Auburn while attempting to deploy spike strips at about 4.30 p.m. Trooper Bailey was performing traffic control duties as a result of several crashes on the interstate when he was notified of a vehicle pursuit involving the Fort Wayne Police Department. The pursuit entered on I-69 toward Trooper Bailey's location. The fleeing vehicle was traveling at a high rate of speed and struck Trooper Bailey as he attempted to deploy stop sticks near mile marker 326. He was transported to a nearby hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. The driver who struck him was arrested and charged with murder, felony resisting law enforcement, felony operating with a controlled substance, resulting in death and resisting law enforcement. Trooper Bailey had served with the Indiana State Police for 15 and a half years. He is survived by his wife, son, and daughter. Master Trooper James R. Bailey, Indiana State Police, Indiana, end of watch, Friday, March 3rd, 2023. And the next is Detective Sergeant Mason Griffith, Herman Police Department, Missouri. Detective Sergeant Mason Griffith was shot and killed at Casey's Convenience Store, Market Street, in Herman at about 9.30 p.m. Sergeant Griffith and another officer were responding to a disturbance at a convenience store. When the officers arrived, a shootout occurred. Both officers were shot. One officer is in serious but stable condition. 
Sergeant Griffiths succumbed to his injuries at Mercy Hospital. The subject shot both officers and fled the scene. He has a long history of criminal charges, and there is a warrant for his arrest for not showing up in court in 2022. He barricaded himself in a home near the shooting and was taken into custody the next day by the Missouri Highway Patrol SWAT team. Sergeant Mason also served as the part-time chief of police of the Rosebud Police Department. He is survived by his wife, two sons. Detective Sergeant Mason Griffith, Herman Police Department, Missouri. End of watch, Sunday, March 12th. 2023. These law enforcement officers served their communities with honor, with distinction, and gave their lives in the line of duty. May they rest in peace. Two more heroes whose lives have been lost, and their names will join the wall of the thousands of American law enforcement officers in Washington, D.C., um, where the law enforcement memorial is. If you've never been to the memorial, next time that you are in Washington, D.C., I highly encourage you to go see it. The Law Enforcement Memorial in the center of Washington, D.C. is a beautiful, if poignant, monument. It is granite, walls of granite, and um, it has the name of every law enforcement officer who's been killed in the line of duty. It's a, it's, a startling, it's a startling reminder of the sacrifices of so many of the American law enforcement officers who have given that ultimate sacrifice. So I, I urge you to go see it. May will um, be National Police Week. Uh, May 15th is, is uh, the beginning of that. And National Police Week is when police officers will gather from all over the country upwards of 30 to 40,000 law enforcement officers will will go to Washington DC for the ceremonies commemorating the lives of those who have given their all and um, I got to tell you having been there on numerous occasions uh, in my capacity as the assistant commander of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department Honor Guard I can tell you that it is a it is a um, somber few days um, the families of all the officers whose names will be revealed on the wall this year from last year, um, will, they will gather and they will be part of this, um, I guess the word is celebration. Um, maybe it's a celebration sounds a little too happy, but it is a celebration of their lives and their, and their honorable service. So it's a, it's a moment that. Uh, law enforcement officers from around the country will recognize they will travel to Washington and I will be there again this year as I am every year um, because it is our sacred duty with you know being part of the wounded blue to be there for these officers there's a lot of pain there's a lot of trauma and the wounded blue of course works to help officers get through that trauma uh, even when it means um, not themselves being physically injured from the from the trauma that that they uh, witness and they're part of, but the trauma of the emotional and mental aspects. You know, many of these officers are going to see their partner whose name is being put on that wall. And if you think that doesn't have a dramatic effect on them, well, then you better think again. 
So um, very poignant time, uh, very uh, honorable time when, uh, when, when May comes along and National Police Week, uh, which was first began by President Kennedy. And it's been, um, it's been uh, part of the law enforcement world ever since then. Now, of course, those officers whose names I just read were killed in the line of duty. So I was just in the state of New Jersey. I, I, I left Las Vegas because I was brought to the New Jersey PBAS, Policemen's Benevolent Association, the largest police union in New Jersey. And they asked me to come and speak to the membership there at their convention. And um, in case you didn't know, I began my police career in Princeton, New Jersey, as a, as a police officer. <clears throat> I'll tell you about that um, uh, a little more in depth. But that's where, that's where my police career began, in a small community, the town of Princeton. So I spent 10 years there. And I was part of the PBA, and I still have strong ties to the law enforcement community in New Jersey. Well, they asked me to come and speak to the membership hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of officers from all over the state of New Jersey to talk about mental, emotional, well-being, health, and the Wounded Blue, and what the Wounded Blue could offer these officers. Um, I got to tell you, um, every, every time I talk to a police audience, it's different. Uh, you cannot fool a police audience. Their, their, their bullshit detectors are really, really good. So they recognize immediately if you are trying to sell a sell something that isn't real, or if uh, if you are the real deal. And I can tell you that the respect level that these officers gave me was incredible. It was touching. Um, they were fully engaged in the hour or so that I was addressing them, and afterwards I had many many officers which. This seems to be the, the, what happens every time I, I give a, a presentation. I have, I have many officers who come up afterward, either in a social setting or they reach out to me, and that's where they share their pain. They don't want to do it in a public forum, but they do have a great deal of, of um, trauma that they're dealing with, and they want to talk to somebody about it, but they don't know who and when. I talk about the Wounded Blue and I talk about um, that it's okay. It's okay to realize that you're not okay. Um, that seems to open up the door to a lot of really intense conversations. So if you're a law enforcement officer and you're listening to this, I want you to understand that the Wounded Blue exists for you. That the entire team of the Wounded Blue is made up of law enforcement officers who have been severely injured in the line of duty or faced uh, major post-traumatic stress issues or both. And they know they, they've, been, they've been in your shoes. They've walked that walk. And that's what sets the Wounded Blue apart from every other organization. We are strictly about injured and disabled law enforcement officers, whether those injuries are physical or emotional and psychological. We've saved a lot of lives. And if you are struggling and you have no one to turn to, then reach out to the Wounded Blue. Really easy to find, thewoundedblue.org. So I was away for almost a week. 
Uh, I also did some, while I was there, Fox News had me on it. We went to the studio. I, I actually, now I've done Fox News a, a lot of times, right? And I've been on Neil Cavuto's show, I'm going to guess, 20 times over the last few years. But I've never met him in person. So f since I was in New Jersey, the Fox invited me to come into the studio and do um, a, uh, an interview with Neil Cavuto personally. And I got to tell you, it was, um, it, was, it, was a, it was a great moment for me. Uh, Neil Cavuto is a very, very gracious human being. Um, he's one of the few, he's in fact, I think he's the only host that I've ever been on their show when he actually sent me a thank you card for being on his show. This was a couple years ago. So he has always been a true supporter of law enforcement. So getting an opportunity to be in the studio with him, to meet him personally, and talk a little bit offline um, about his respect level for law enforcement, it was touching. And, uh, and I, I want to um, publicly thank Neil for, for his encouragement, for his support, and for Fox News, who is um, one of the only large news um, entities which really seems to care about law enforcement. Um, Newsmax also has me on uh, to talk about law enforcement topics. And, and it's, it's, it's very unfortunate that um, we've seen Newsmax be degraded by the censorship of um, like DirecTV. They just took them, uh, they, they just took them off their, their platform. And, you know, we're seeing, we're seeing true censorship, especially when it comes down to conservative issues and law enforcement. Um, in case you don't know, I have a, a Facebook page called The Voice for American Law Enforcement and The Wounded Blue, two different Facebook pages. And uh, on, on The Voice for American Law Enforcement, I get a little more political. On The uh, Wounded Blue Facebook page, we are apolitical. We don't, that, that is something that is um, uh, part of, of the nature of what we do. We cannot be political. Even though their their you know politics always seems to play a role in everything involving law enforcement, but um, the Wounded Blue is nonpartisan. In fact, when I created the Wounded Blue, I actually thought, you know, maybe this was looking at the the world through rose covered glasses, but I thought maybe the idea of the Wounded Blue might build some bridges. Because it doesn't matter whether you have a D behind your name or a right or an R, the concept of the wounded blue is compassion. It's empathy. It's realizing the sacrifice of those who serve, and treating them with kindness, with respect, with dignity, with empathy, with compassion. And I don't think that that's a political. I don't think that there's anything political about that. I think that's about being human. I think that's about being doing the right thing. Um, now, I, I've got to say that I, I haven't really seen the bridge building that I thought I would, but I remain ever hopeful that, that people on the other end of the political spectrum will come to a realization and say, you know what, we shouldn't care about politics here. We should just care about the sacrifice of those men and women. And I'm going to read you. So I was away for a week, right? A week. 
and I was I was watching the news, but I wasn't really reporting on it because I was I was I was busy doing the you know the the speaking engagements and 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 news media stuff. But the war on cops is very real. It's it's the danger is incredible. I mean, literally. So th this is only a week. I'm going to read you the headlines. While I was in New Jersey, a Deptford police officer, Deptford, New Jersey officer, was shot. A uh, man killed in Deptford, New Jersey, police-involved shooting was identified. Um, a police officer, Bobby Schisler, was shot in the leg, and a fellow officer applied a tourniquet before he was taken to the hospital and saved his life. Um, another police officer shot in the line of duty. Luckily, he's alive. Breaking news. Three... Three Los Angeles police officers shot by barricaded fugitive. Three LAPD officers were shot while trying to apprehend a wanted parolee. LAPD Assistant Chief Al Labrada said the series of events leading up to the shooting began at 3.50 p.m. when police were called to assist with a search for an at-large parolee on Broadway. Officers located the suspect barricaded inside a shed. The subject opened fire. And shot three officers. He was eventually taken into custody. And then again, day later, March 10th, a trooper, Maryland, trooper shot on traffic stop in Wicomico County, identified. The trooper shot multiple times while conducting a traffic stop in Wicomico County is being identified as the investigation continues. The Maryland State Trooper, who sustained multiple injuries after being shot at the scene of a traffic stop, identified as Sergeant Brooke Phillips, an 18-and-a-half-year veteran of the Maryland State Police. The subject was uh, confirmed deceased, which is the only happy part of that story. But that's not the only. This is still, this is still in the same week. Montana police officer shot during foot chase. A Great Falls police officer was shot while trying to apprehend a fleeing suspect. The incident began at 3.30 p.m. March 7th when an officer with the Great Falls Police Department attempted to pull a driver over. The driver refused to stop, ultimately bailed out of the car, took off running, along with the passenger of the vehicle, opened fire, and shot the police officer. The officer is recovering. Not done. Not done. One week. Florida deputy shot in ambush attack during foot chase. A Pinellas County Sheriff's Corporal was shot while trying to apprehend an alleged car burglar. The incident began at 6.50 p.m. March 12th when the Pinellas County Sheriff's received a call about a suspect attempting to burglarize vehicles. St. Petersburg Police Chief said two deputies responded to the scene, spotted the suspect near a church, at which point the suspect took off running. Deputies chased after him, scaling multiple fences, running through people's yards as they tried to apprehend him. One of the deputies is also a canine handler and had his four-legged partner with him. The gunman ultimately ambushed them in the backyard of a home. He lay in wait for them. The corporal was shot multiple times. Um, the, PS, the sergeant returned fire and fatally shot the suspect. The officer is recovering. And then, of course, Missouri police officer, who I just 
talked about Sergeant Mason Griffin. A Missouri police officer is dead, one other injured, and law enforcement is uh, searching. Well, this is this this came out before he was he was uh, arrested. Uh, police Herman Police Department Detective Sergeant Mason Griffith, another officer, was shot 9:20 p.m. outside a general store. Um, investigators got information that led him to believe led them to believe that the suspect barricaded himself in a home. He was eventually taken into custody. Sergeant Herman was killed. The other officer was severely injured in the line of duty. This is one week, one week. And there is almost every single day in America a police officer being shot, a law enforcement officer being shot. When I talk about the war on cops, it's very real. It's uh, physical, that is, shootings, stabbings. I mean, these are just the shootings I'm telling you about. Last year, approximately 60,000, you heard that number right, 60,000 law enforcement officers were physically assaulted in the line of duty. Those physical assaults include being shot, being stabbed, being beaten, being hit with bricks, being hit with water bottles that are, that are uh, turned into ice, um, being hit by cars intentionally. Um, there's a lot of ways that, that police officers are facing physical danger. And so when I talk about the war on cops, I'm not, I'm not, um, I'm not making this up. I'm not exaggerating. So when I talk about our reality check each week here on the wounded blue hour, the, the, the reality check is, is, is part of the message that I give to you. If you're tuning into this broadcast, if you're listening to it on the radio, if you're watching it on America Out Loud, it means you care about your law enforcement community. And if you care about this law enforcement community, I, I thank you for tuning in. But I urge you to go to thewoundedblue.org and give what you can to help. Our office, if it's 10 bucks a month, it's, if it's 20 bucks a month, whatever you can give, for one-time gift, I urge you to go to thewoundedblue.org. These men and women, we're, we're a completely voluntary organization, but it takes resources. I mean, we've helped more than 14,000, and we are strictly funded by donations by people like you. And the only way for us to continue our mission is for people like you to say, I care, and I'm going to show that I care. Um, so go to thewoundedblue.org, see who we are, see what we do. If you haven't seen our documentary film, you got to go to amazon.com. You got to go see the Wounded Blue Service Sacrifice Betrayed. It is a shocking documentary film. It will, it will, it'll blow you away because it'll show you the reality of how officers around the country are being treated once they become severely injured in the line of duty. And I'm going to tell you my story right after the break in a couple minutes. And um, this is the genesis of the Wounded Blue. So go to thewoundedblue.org. Go to uh, Amazon and punch in the Wounded Blue, and you'll see the, the film come up. It's a 72-minute feature film. And um, I guarantee you, you will... Well, you'll walk away shaking your head going, how is this possible? How can police officers be treated like this 
when they have given so much and sacrificed so much. So um, those are the ways that you can become familiar with your organization, uh, how you can help, how you can show you care. And, uh, and I urge you to go take a look at, at the website. And there's other ways that you can care or you can show that you care as well. You know, a police officer these days, a kind word goes a very, very long way. I can't tell you, you know, and even in all this neg negative environment that we're seeing, I have more cops telling me with a smile on their face, Randy, almost every time that I go for a cup of coffee or I go for my lunch break, somebody says, I want to pay for that cup of coffee or I want to buy that officer lunch. And that tells me, that tells me that the people of this nation truly do believe in their officers, truly do care about them. And I can tell you this, that, that, it, that those gestures, even a small kind word, means something to these officers. So we're going to take a quick break, and uh, I'm going to come back, and we're going we're gonna to continue with the show. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. Let's get real, let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I have to tell you that I think one of the biggest advances in nutraceuticals and supplements is healthy cell. And the healthy cell line is extensive. I typically focus on the microgel technology, three major products here, Immune Super Boost, the Focus and Recall, and then the REM sleep supplement. Each one of these is complementary, and they can uh, have a role, I think, in the health of your life each and every day. I know they do in my case. Many of you know, after COVID-19 twice, I spent almost the entire year in 2022 with an upper respiratory tract illness. Now, thankfully, I'm through the first two months of 2023, and I've been diligent with the Immune Super Boost in the morning, followed by focus and energy, and then in the evening time, the REM sleep supplement. The microgel technology works, and boy, does it work fast. So go to our website, America Out Loud Talk Radio, find the banner bar for Healthy Cell, click on it, and that'll take you to the site to get a discount on your purchase of all Healthy Cell products. So let's get real, let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is a McCullough Report. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. 
boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. Okay, welcome back to this uh, episode of the Wounded Blue Hour with your host, Randy Sutton. I want to tell you, you know, everything that, that I, I, you know, all the information that comes out of this show is all about law enforcement. It's all about protecting them. It's all about um, enhancing their lives, protecting their lives. And there is a product that I want to tell you about. And if you're an officer or have been an officer, I want you to pay really special attention. It's called OfficerPrivacy.com. Now, what is OfficerPrivacy.com? Pete James, who is a retired copper out of uh, California, big in the tech world, realized that it is really easy to go onto the Internet and find personal information about people like me and you if you're a cop. It's easy to find where you live. It's easy to find um, information about your family. Now, I am very concerned about officer safety, and so is OfficerPrivacy.com. And I'm a, I'm a client. I can tell you I know I saw exactly what they did. They showed me how it, easy it was to find me, find my home, find my home on the Internet. And what they do is they, their entire staff is made up of retired cops or former cops. And they go on and they scrub the internet about you so that it is, it is much more difficult to find any personal information about you. So I urge you to go to officerprivacy.com. It's, it's not expensive. And it, it, to me, it's, this is a no-brainer. This is one of those things that you need to do for your own self-protection and for the protection of your family. Go to OfficerPrivacy.com, check it out, and I think that you will find um, that this is a this is something very very worthwhile for you and for your family. OfficerPrivacy.com. So I get I get in my my interactions with with people um, regarding the Wounded Blue. I'm often asked, "What was the genesis? Why, Randy? Why did you create this organization? What what was it in your life that um, that made this happen. And I'm going to explain it to you right now. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my personal story. Because it's very, it's, it's vital that you know um, this information if you, if you are interested in the Wounded Blue, if you're interested in, in um, a topic that is rarely talked about, but yet is vitally important. We've all heard of post-traumatic stress disorder. We've all heard of post-traumatic stress injury. Um, 
But have you heard of post-traumatic stress growth? Probably not. And if you have, it's because somebody is really paying attention. That It is from trauma sometimes that some of the most incredible um, organizations are formed. I was very, very fortunate when I, uh, when after I retired, and I'll explain what happened to force my retirement. I wrote a book called The Power of Legacy. And I had the incredible opportunity, life-changing for me, to go around the country, talk to people who had, who had touched the lives of literally hundreds of thousands of people in some cases by creating organizations that, um, that changed the world. For instance, the man who created the Make-A-Wish Foundation. I was watching a television show. This is after I retired. And I was kind of searching for what was next for me. And I saw an interview with Frank Shankwitz. That's a, not a household name. It should be, but it isn't. But the organization that he created is a household name. It's called the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And I was watching this interview with Frank Shankwitz. He's a larger-than-life kind of guy. Big old 10-gallon cowboy hat, black cowboy hat, big guy, telling the story about why he created the Make-A-Wish. And most people don't know that he was an Arizona State Trooper. The man who created Make-A-Wish was an active-duty Arizona State Trooper when he created the organization. And he was a cop for 40 years. 40 years. He was so dedicated to a life of service. And he created the Make-A-Wish Foundation because, um, I'll, give you, I'll, I'll tell you the story, because it's just, it's, to me, it's one of the most amazing stories ever. So Frank is a motorcycle officer. This is, he's, this is in the early 1980s. And some of you who are old enough will remember the TV show Chips. Chips was a big show. Ponch and John, right? Okay. So he gets a phone call from headquarters and is dispatched, he and his partner, who are both motor officers, to a hospital to meet with, with um, a woman and a child. They meet with the mo this mom, young mother. She's got a seven-year-old child who's dying of leukemia. And he loves this TV show, uh, Chips. Loves it, loves it. And she wants him to meet a real motor officer. So the Arizona Highway Patrol send Frank and his partner. And they meet the mom, she explains it, and then they meet this little boy, Chris, seven years old. And they fall in love with him. He's the cutest little guy. And he loves it. And they put him on the motorcycle. And they put the helmet on him. And he is giggling. He's happy. He's having a great time. And he says, I want to be a motor police officer like you and like Ponch and like John. So they, Frank and his partner, do something that's never been done before. Within minutes, they call headquarters and they get the department to make him an honorary trooper. And Frank calls the uniform shop, gives him his, gives them his, this little boy's dimensions and says, I need you to make a uniform right now. And they do. They make this little boy a uniform. He goes and picks it up. This is all taking, because this boy is on the verge of dying. 
they go down and they pick up this uniform, they bring it to him, and they give him this uniform. And it is just an incredible moment for Frank and for this little boy and their mom. And the little boy says, but I want to be a motor police officer. And he points to the winged wheel that, that, is, ever, that is on every cop's lapel. So Frank calls the, the jewelry shop that makes them and says, I need you to make a winged wheel for me right now. And they do. They stay and they make the winged wheels that go on the collar. And they, they, what they do is they take, they take a, uh, a tricycle and they put him on the tricycle in his uniform and they put some cones out there. And he, he rides through the cones and they say, okay, you pass. You're now a motor police officer. And he says, but I, I want my winged wheel. And they said, we're getting, we're, you're getting it. You're getting it. So um, that night, Frank goes and he picks up the winged wheel from, from the jewelry shop. Well, the next day, he's getting ready to, to go to the hospital and meet Chris. And he gets a phone call. And the phone call is, get to the hospital right now. The little boy's in a coma. He's not going to make it. So Frank... Gets to the uh, gets to the the hospital, and the little boy's in a coma, and he's got his uniform hanging there in the room. The mom is there, and this is just you know you can imagine the you can imagine the pain, the trauma, the sadness. And so while there, he's looking at the little boy, Frank puts the winged wheel on his uniform. Now I'm not making this up; this really happened. A couple minutes later, the kid opens his eyes. Chris opens his eyes, and he sees the uniform hanging there. He sees the winged wheel, and he, say, he says, am I a motor officer? And Frank says, yes, you are. Chris laid his back and died. Frank realized, if I can make this boy's wish come true, I can do this for kids all over the country. And that is how, that is how this amazing organization was born. It was born from pain. It was born from trauma. And when I talk about post-traumatic stress growth, this is what I mean. And I got the opportunity to talk to a lot of people that from their traumas, from their pain, from their sorrows, created organizations were touched lives in ways that were absolutely stunning. If you want to, if you want a copy of my book, contact me directly because you can't get it anywhere else now. It's uh, it's out of print, but I have some copies. I'll sign it for you. Go to Randy at the wounded blue.org, Randy at the wounded blue.org and let me know you want a copy and we'll make arrangements for it. It's an amazing book. It changed my life doing it. And Frank Shankwitz, this man who created this incredible organization remained with the Arizona Highway Patrol for many, many years, continuing both his great work with the wounded, with the, uh, excuse me, with the um, Make-A-Wish. His wife was the co-founder, who is still a great friend of mine. Frank, unfortunately, passed away a couple of years ago. One of my closest friends and one of the first board members of the Wounded Blue. When I, just, when I came up with the idea for the Wounded Blue, he was the first person I contacted. 
And he said, Randy, count me in. And he was a major part of my organization literally till the day, till the day he died. A true American hero. In fact, there's a movie about him. Um, I believe it's on Netflix. It's called Wish Man. And uh, I was actually in the movie, which to me is one of the most poignant things um, that I was actually in a film about Frank's life. Um, not a big budget movie, but pretty damn good. And uh, go watch it. It's, um, it's, 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 um, tells, tells quite an amazing story. So the wounded blue, let me tell you what happened to me. And this is, this is the story of post-traumatic stress growth. It's the story of the wounded blue. It's the story, um, that, that, uh, is all about my life. I loved being a cop. I did it for 34 years, almost 34 years. I started out my career in Princeton, New Jersey. I did 10 years there as a patrol officer and then detective. And then because it was a small department, I wasn't challenged. I decided I need more action. So I started my police career all over again in Las Vegas. I had to come out and take the test all over again. I had to go through the academy all over again. Uh, I had to literally begin my entire police career, even though I had 10 years on the job. Didn't count. So I start all over, and let me tell you, be careful what you wish for. Remember that? Remember that adage? I wanted more action. Well, I got more action. And I did almost 24 years with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, retiring as a lieutenant. But I did not intend to retire when I did. I expected to do many more years because I loved doing what I did. I really, truly enjoyed it. Um, I was uh, I was a, a patrol officer, then I was a field training officer, detective, narcotics, and then I promoted a sergeant, and I was a sergeant for 14 years. I loved being a sergeant. Um, I did all kinds of great um, uh, uh, assignments, and it was to me, the sergeant was the best rank that there that there was. Um, then I promoted a lieutenant, where. Um, there were different challenges. And being a lieutenant in the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is the last rank that you can actually be on the road. So I stayed on the road for my entire lieutenant's career in patrol. And for me, patrol was the most satisfying um, part of my career because that's where the action is, that's where the, that's, where, that's where the rubber meets the road in policing. And so I was a graveyard lieutenant now, remember, the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department is the ninth largest police department in the country. So it's a, it's a big agency. And when you're, when you're a lieutenant, you have a lot of people working for you. So one night, um, whenever I was the watch commander, what the watch commander means is, as a lieutenant, all lieutenants, we would take turns being the watch commander, which meant you are the highest ranking senior officer um, on duty and any major scene the watch commander has to respond to. So whenever I was watch commander, I would take a patrol officer with me so that I, I could get to actually know my people and find out what's going on. Because when you spend eight hours in a police car with somebody, you get the real deal, right? <laughs> There's it's unfiltered. And so, uh, uh, I did, a, I did, uh, I got a lot of information, uh, about, 
you know, keeping my finger on the pulse of the department and, and my leadership, right? I mean, that's, you, if you're a leader in a police community, you better stay sharp. You better continue to always grow and always understand that you're having a tremendous effect on the lives of others. So if you don't continue to grow and hone your skills as a leader, then uh, you're letting your people down. So this was a way that, that I got to do that. So on this particular night, I had this patrol officer with me. First night he's ever ridden with me. And we're on patrol, it's 2.30 in the morning. We've just come from a, a pretty interesting call involving uh, an overdose death of, uh, of an individual. And we were talking about it. We were talking about what a waste of humanity, you know, dying in such a way. And we were having a good, good conversation. We're driving down Las Vegas Boulevard, the Strip. And I'm right in front of Bally's Hotel. And I'm having a conversation. I'm talking to him like I'm talking to you right now. And suddenly I found myself talking slower. And I literally felt my brain slowing down. And I knew exactly what was happening. I knew that I was having a stroke. And I stopped the police car right in the middle of Las Vegas Boulevard. And I said to this poor kid, I said, get me medical. I'm having a stroke. And he looks at me like, is, is this like hazing, <laughs> right? And he realized that, no, this is a real deal. And I got out of the police car to go around to the passenger side in case he needed to get me to the hospital. And in the seconds that I did that, I started speaking gibberish. And I knew what I was trying to say, but those were not the words that were coming out of my mouth. I was completely out of control. I had no, I had no control over what I was saying. And I knew it, right? You're conscious, you're awake, you know what's going on, but you, you have absolutely no ability to, to do anything about it. And then I lost the ability to speak altogether and lost the ability to move and crumpled to the pavement. Helpless. It was the most frightening moment of my life. And I can tell you that I've been through some frightening moments. And here's the reality. I wasn't afraid of dying. I lost that fear years ago. I was afraid of living like that. Trapped. And while I'm laying there, helpless, I hear the sirens coming. The cavalry's on the way. But tourists are walking by me taking my picture. And I'm, I'm helpless. I can't do anything about it. Cops get there. They surround me. They put a protective ring around me waiting for the ambulance. And this is my last on-duty memory. This is no, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. My last on-duty memory is hearing one of my patrol officers say, if you don't get that camera out of his face, I'm going to take it off you and stick it up your ass. And I remember thinking, that's the Metro I know and love right there. That ended my police career. Almost ended my life. But once again, that same angel that's been on my shoulder my entire career was with me that night. And the clot that caused the stroke went through my brain. And it left some damage, um, but not anywhere near what it could have done. It could have killed me. It could have left me completely debilitated. It could have, you know, a stroke, 
a stroke can can leave you completely helpless. And I was really, really fortunate that um, that the damage that it did it affected my memory, it affected some of my speech, but I was able to regain most of that. But it ended my police career. Now, I guess I should mention that there were a couple incidents that took place just prior to this, too. Three weeks before, my mother died in my arms after a long illness. Two months before that, I was in a, involved in a fatal shooting. So there was a lot of stuff going on. But they discovered um, that the reason that I had the stroke was because I had a severe heart condition that I didn't know. I didn't know about it. And then while I'm in the hospital, the doctor tells me, Randy, um, you got this really serious heart problem. And by the way, that's what killed my mother. It's what killed my father. And he says, you really need to think about your own mortality. Well, I can tell you that's not exactly what I had envisioned coming from this conversation. And that's one of the reasons why I did that book, The Power of Legacy because I wanted to leave a legacy. And that's what gave me the impetus to create that book, which changed my life. But then something happened that I never expected. A pivotal moment in my life. My own police department turned its back on me and said, we're not paying your medical bills. We're not giving you your benefits. I, I, I was... I was aghast, I think is the only word I can utilize. Here I, I, get a bill, I, I get a hospital bill for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? And, and it says denied on it from, my, from workers' comp. And I call, I call the workers' comp system here, and I said, wait a minute, this must be a mistake. It says you're denying it. And they said, yeah, that's right. I said, you can't deny it. It's written in statute. This is the law. Yeah, well, um, you'll have to appeal it. I'll have to appeal it. They, they literally, my own department said they're not going to pay my medical bills. They're not going to give me my benefits. And I got to tell you, I've never felt so abandoned. I've never felt so alone. And I had to, I had to literally go to court. It took a year. Meanwhile, bill collectors are knocking on my door. The stress of this is, is palpable. I win every hearing, and yet the department pays tens of thousands of dollars of taxpayers' money to fight me. Why? Well, I came to understand why in a major reality check. They knew it was going to take about a year for me to exhaust the appeals process and eventually get to the point where they are court-ordered to pay my bills and to give me my benefits. They knew it was going to take a year. Now, what I'm going to tell you is going to shock you. They were hoping I was going to die in the meantime so they wouldn't have to pay. Now, if that sounds bizarre to you, I can tell you that I have found this to be a national issue. This is happening around the country, which is one of the major reasons why I created the Wounded Blue. I beat them. 
They had to pay, had to give me my benefits. And then because of all the things that I've done besides being a cop, right, being in, writing books, being in the movies, being on cops, Facebook became a thing. As cops started reaching out to me, Randy, I was shot in the line of duty. My chief never came to visit me in the hospital. They're not paying my medical bills. Randy, I know you don't know me, but I was struck by a car and I can't go back to work and they're not paying my medical bills. Randy, I mean, one after another from different states, from different, and not because I could do anything, but simply because I was visible in the law enforcement community. And I said, wait a minute, hold on a second. There's got to be a resource for these men and women. If you die in the line of duty, there's a great resource. Concerns of police survivors, they do amazing work. They help your families. They, they, they are an incredible peer support program. So I thought, okay, wait a minute, there's got to be a, for these men and women who are severely injured. And I found, to my shock, there was no national organization to provide peer support and resources for those who have sacrificed so much and given so much. Well, there sure as hell is now, and it is the Wounded Blue. And we are the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled officers. My entire team is made up of men and women who have been shot or stabbed or beaten or run over, faced incredible challenges, post-traumatic stress injury, and yet they want to continue to serve, and they do serve in the most dramatic ways by providing peer support, by being a resource for these men and women so that they know that they are not forgotten, they are not alone. That's what this t-shirt says. That's what our motto is. That's the words that we live by, never forgotten, never alone. And I can tell you that in the, in the four, little less than four years that we've been active, that we have been in operation, we've helped more than 14,000 police officers in very dramatic ways. I have officers call me and tell me, Randy, if it wasn't for you guys, I would have killed myself. That's the reality. The law enforcement suicide rate is through the roof. And then when you add a severe injury, they're not even, they're not even keeping track, but it, but it goes up exponentially because these men and women feel abandoned, feel alone like I felt, like my entire team felt when they were thrown away by their departments. And the American public doesn't know this. They don't understand it because even cops don't understand it. Wait a minute. How can this happen to me? I've given so much. And it's devastating. I went to go see my sheriff, a guy who I served with for 24 years. We weren't friends, but we were certainly friendly. And I looked at him. I said, Sheriff, how do you, how do you treat me like this? And I'll never forget these words. He looked at me right in the eye. He said, Randy, this isn't personal. It's just business. It's just business. And I came to find out through, you know, all the ensuing years that that's all it is. Once you are severely injured in the line of duty, you are now no longer good for the department. And depending on which agency you work for, like if you're in New York City and you can't work anymore, you're severely injured, you're going to get a decent pension and you're going to get your medical paid for you. If you're in certain areas that, that, that have strong unions, that have strong workers' compensation laws, you're, you're going you're to be facing less problems. You're still going to be facing problems, but less. In other states, it's not like that. In other states, they simply throw you away. And if you, if you go to watch that, 
that documentary film, The Wounded Blue, on Amazon. I guarantee you, bring your tissues because you're gonna you're gonna be shocked at what you see. And that's why it's so critical that if you're watching this program, you care about cops, that you join us, that you that you support these men and women, that you show them that they are not abandoned, they are not forgotten, they are not alone, and become part of the Wounded Blue experience. And we're, we're an organization that is, that is growing. You know, we're uh, going to be adding more peer team members if you are a police officer who has faced serious trauma, serious injury, and you've come out on the other side and you want to continue to help, you want to be one of those people who plays a role in the lives of others, go to thewoundedblue.org, fill out a contact report and say, I want to help. We're going to be adding more people. And if you need help, do the same thing. Reach out to us. If you want to reach out to me personally, I'm easy. Randy at thewoundedblue.org. Now, if you're, a, if you're a, a business and you want to provide support for the Wounded Blue, you want to be a supporter, you want to be, um, you, if you want to uh, sponsor some of our incredible events, which we got some beauties coming up, contact me, randy at thewoundedblue.org. Um, show that you care and become part of an organization that's touching the lives every single day of America's heroes. So we're coming to the end of our show. I thank you for tuning in, either on the America Out Loud Network, if you're listening on iHeartRadio, thank you so much. Um, TheWoundedBlue.org, I urge you to go that. Uh, if you are a police officer, OfficerPrivacy.com supports The Wounded Blue. They're a major supporter of The Wounded Blue, and they do amazing work. And uh, if you're troubled, you've been a cop, you are a cop, there are people that care. Reach out to thewoundedblue.org. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Randy Sutton. We'll see you next week. Stay safe.